Hello and welcome to State of Crime. One state, two murders, lots of crime. With Kaylin and Elena, and this week, special guest, Maria's back. I'm back. Yay! So, we are doing something different this week. We were supposed to be in Missouri this week. I believe it was Missouri. (laughs) I don't know. We were supposed to be somewhere else this week. But we decided to keep everyone on their toes again. And we're going to do kind of a bonus week. So when Elena was out and Maria, myself, and my dad did the episodes that week, we did we went to Colorado. Right. And Elena was pretty bummed about it. Because I was so, so sad. Because I have a case in Colorado that is like your New Mexico case. It means that much to me. So. Yeah. So we had decided then that we we would have to do a bonus episode so she can cover this case because she does love it so much. I do. And Maria and I have recently got invested into another case, which was also from a state that we have already done. So this is just kind of a bonus week. So we're going to have two different states this week, but they are states that we've already covered. So So I should have said two states. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You can never win here, I, I guess. I can never win. <laughs> so, yay. All right. So, I'm super excited that we're doing this because my Colorado case is very fun. And kind of like you, where, you know, you had kind of some personal overlap with your New Mexico case. I don't really have a lot of personal overlap in the same way that you do because mine, again, is a historical case. But when I was in grades three through seven, we lived in a small town called Monta Vista, Colorado, which is up in the San Luis Valley near the San Juan Mountains in southern central Colorado. And it's beautiful, beautiful town and not very many people know of it, but um, it's near another town called Alamosa, which was featured on an early episode of South Park when Cartman gets sent to a juvenile detention center there. And I remember my brother and I were so excited that the tiny town of Alamosa got mentioned on South Park. And another very small town, not very far away, is spelled S-A-G-U-A-C-H-E. And one of the things we just loved about living near this town was nobody ever knows how to say it, okay? And recently... My Favorite Murder did this exact same case, and I was dying laughing because they were trying to pronounce the name of this town. Are you going to give so it again, a shot? S-A-G-U-A-C-H-E, and it's pronounced Swatch. That's weird. I was going to go like Sagwatch. Yeah. <laughs> so... Why this town has this strange name, it's probably a Native American word. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. So that's where this this pronunciation comes in. So when I was growing up, like I said, in Monta Vista, Sawatch is not very far away. And they have an old little, you know, historical jail cell set up there. And in it, they have the figure of a man, you know, they've just like stuffed a shirt, you know, and done like a, I don't know, whatever. And he sits in there. And that is the infamous Alfred Packer, also known as the Colorado Cannibal. And he's the only person (laughs) in the United States who has ever been prosecuted 
for cannibalism. Because believe it or not... It's not illegal. It's not technically illegal in most places. What? To eat another human being? I do want to say, and I, I can't do it. <laughs> I oh, want no. to say, I do believe Idaho might be the only state that actually has a law prohibiting it. I want to say there's something that Idaho has a law against, and we're the only state that. Yeah, I know. What kind of loophole do you have to find? <laughs> I mean, you have to kill somebody to eat them. I mean, unless you keep them alive, but even then, that's like torture. Well, I think. I mean, I wouldn't hope that nobody would consensually be like yeah just take a piece it's yeah. okay i don't know if it's just the idea that cannibalism is just so far out there do you know what i mean right. that most lawmakers are like why don't should we have, <laughs> why do we have to pass a law against this because who's gonna do it or if it's because the person's already dead and so maybe it's the thought that you know obviously you're going to get them for murder or desecrating a corpse right. or you know there's a lot of other laws that probably right. yeah i i'm not sure i believe you are correct about it being the only state hang on i'm double checking to make sure i read it correctly and didn't it didn't say that whoop, whoop. something else i get very excited when people tell me i'm correct so cannibalism it so in idaho <laughs> under idaho statutes title 18 chapter 50 mayhem carries a maximum Mayhem. sentence wow. of up to 14 years in prison. Yep. Yep. And I do believe we were the only state to expressly outlaw it. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. To yes. have it like an actual written law against yes. it. That's yeah. insane. I know. Well, and like I said, so probably before Alfred Packer, probably the most infamous case of cannibalism in the United States, of course, was the Donner Party, over the winter of 1846 to 1847, mm -hmm. when, of course, most people at least know the outlines of that story. You had people heading west. They got bogged down in the Sierra Nevada. Many of them died. Survivors, very tragically, resorted to cannibalism to live. Yeah. This is a very different story. Yeah, because, I mean, <laughs> I well, feel like Well, you have like to think of the times. And I think even now, you got to do what you got to do. Well, and there's been, there was the case, I want to say in the 80s, was it? 1980s, 1990s, where the plane went down in the Andes Mountains in I, South America. Yeah, and there was, yeah, mm -hmm. and there's the movie called Alive. Mm -hmm. The survivors had to do the same thing. Right. They were stranded for yeah. so long, and they also had to do this in order to survive. So, <clears throat> excuse me, it's not outside, right, the realm. And there's also cultures that have existed where cannibalism is a religious right. Uh -huh. um, yeah. So, uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we, we won't get too much in that. We don't want to gross you out. But anyway, so the case, sometimes he's called Alfred, A-L-F-E-R-D, and sometimes Alfred, the more traditional. And it seems like he went by both during his lifetime. So um, the spelling does change. And this is a pretty famous case is probably one of the more well-known cases that I've covered. There's been a musical that's been made out of it called Cannibal the Musical, <laughs> which I'm assuming is pretty tongue-in-cheek. There's a movie called Devoured, which I have not watched. I've heard it's fairly sensationalized. <laughs> Imagine that. So, Right. Yeah. So like I said, there's a lot of stuff out there. Um, I grew up hearing a lot about this case, Colorado history, and like I said, it had happened close to where I lived. Um, Wikipedia actually does a very nice job of laying out 
everything in a nice coherent story form. So that's where I lifted much of my telling. And there was also a nice little timeline that I found that just had the month, you know, the main dates mm -hmm. of Alfred Packer's life and just laid it out in a timeline, that's but there cool. wasn't a lot of detail. So, yeah. <clears throat> so to start off, Alfred Packer is born actually just a few years prior to the Donner Party tragedy. He's born in 1842. And like I said, the Donner Party is 1846, 1847, that winter. So um, he actually was born in Pennsylvania. And there's not a whole lot about his early life that I could find. I think they did end up, I think I did read his family moved to Indiana from Pennsylvania. And of course, given the time in which he lived, he, you know, is a young man. He's 19 years old when the Civil War begins. And he does serve in the 16th Infantry of Minnesota in 1862. And then in 1863, he's with the 8th Regiment of Iowa Cavalry. And according to the timeline, he's mustered out of service from both of those. Any ideas what mustered out means? I would assume it means that he, like, got... What What's is the word I'm looking for? <laughs> dishonorable? Or... Yeah, like yeah. a dishonorable Yeah, that discharge. was my... Actually, that is 1860s lingo for an honorable discharge. Okay. So, Alfred Packer has epilepsy, or had epilepsy, and so that's why he was honorably discharged for medical reasons. For medical. Okay. And then he just kind of falls out of history for ten, the next 10 years. I couldn't find anything else about him until he pops up in November of 1873 near Salt Lake City, Utah. Okay. So that's a pretty big distance to travel. Well, honestly, it's not that unusual. You, you know, a lot of the people that we associate with the quote-unquote Old West, mm -hmm. you know, and we think of the cowboys and all that stuff, many of them were, in fact, Civil War veterans who made their way out west. So Yeah, that would make sense. Mm -hmm. And he seems to be one of these for, you know, however he ends up out here. Um, and I will say it's at this point of the story that I was kind of surprised that he was mustered out, that he got an honorable discharge from the army. Because starting very early in this narrative, when he pops back up in 1873, he's kind of a jerk. And people are not too impressed by him. They don't like him very much. He just seems to have a very abrasive personality. So we find him outside of Salt Lake City. And there had just been a huge gold strike near the town of what is now Breckenridge, Colorado. And like Idaho, Colorado had a lot of gold and silver. Mining was a huge part of the settling of that state. So there's 20 men in this region, right outside of Salt Lake City, who are like, hey, let's get out of here. We're heading down to Colorado, you know, to, to work the gold mines, and we'll make lots of money, right? So um, they start heading out, and they go down near Provo, where they meet up with Alfred Packer, and that's where he's been kicking around, I guess. He asks if he can come along with their group of 20. Now, he has no money no supplies really and he but he claims that he has experience as a prospector and as a guide and that he knows the san juan mountains really really well 
So, like I said, it's November though. And any, you guys have been around, you know, Utah, Salt mm -hmm. Lake, Provo have the Wasatch Mountains, which are huge, huge. Yeah. and formidable. That area is well known for its skiing, which tells mm -hmm. you what winters are like, right? Yeah, right. And so you're going to leave Provo, Utah and head down to Colorado. Where you have to cross the range. Where you're also in the mountains, you know, in November. So this doesn't seem like the, <laughs> the best idea from the get-go. Yeah. But there's gold to be had. There's gold and then there are hills. And so that seems to be why mm -hmm. they're willing to take these risks. Yeah. Because, of course, once a gold strike is announced, you need to get there as quickly as possible before everybody else comes mm -hmm. and stakes a claim. Yeah. And gets it all. Might as well do what everybody else won't. Right. And like I said, I grew up in, you know, this area. The San Juan Mountains are huge, too. We're talking ten to 13,000 feet. I mean, winters are brutal. The town of Monta Vista, where I lived, was 7,700 feet above sea level. And like I said, we're in the San Luis Valley. So that tells you what the mountains around there are like, yeah. you know. So um, we could see Wolf Creek Pass outside of my window. There used to be a famous trucker song that talked about Wolf Creek Pass. And, I mean, it's just, it's not an area you want to be in the wintertime, any of this. Yeah. So, nonetheless, these 20 men tell Alfred, well, you know, hey, he knows the San Juan Mountains. We'll take him with us. So they do. And they follow what was then known as the Mormon Trail, again, for obvious reasons, because who had settled, you know, Salt Lake and Provo, <laughs> right? And as they're following the Mormon Trail uh, down into Colorado, of course, there's tons of snow. They get bogged down. They get lost. Um, their provisions run out on them. They end up eating some of their horses, because that's how desperate they are for food. Um, but... By the 21st of January in uh, 1874, they do make it to the town of Montrose, Colorado, which at the time was nothing, basically. So they do meet up with a Ute Indian chief whose name is Chief Ure. His nickname was the white man's friend. So that tells you a lot. And the Utes, traditionally, as a, I mean, they had been very friendly to the Mormons mm -hmm. overall. They had really helped them. When they had first arrived in Utah, obviously Utah's named for them. Um, but you know, you never hear of a lot of whites that are known as the First Nations people's friend. And I, <laughs> I just was thinking about that, you know. So. But it seems like Chief Ure really was a great guy. So he invites these 21 people. He's like, you know, come stay with my tribe. He gives them food and shelter, takes care of them. Uh, explains to them that no Ute would be stupid enough to do what they are doing at this time of year and that they should probably just stay with him for the winter and then continue on once the snows leave. But our intrepid explorers are very worried about gold running out, you know, so they're anxious to get going. So there were, some of the men still had their horses and their wagons most of them decide to take Chief Ure up on his offer and to stay there because they know their horses can't make it through the snow. Yeah. Eleven of the men who presumably either didn't have horses to start out with or they had eaten theirs in their previous travels, um, still in, by February are like, no, we need to get out of here. We want to go. So Chief Ure, once again... Living up to his nickname, being the gracious host he is, gives them food, 
and very detailed directions that bypass the San Juan Mountains. He says, stay out of those, follow the Gunnison River down. You can still catch fish out of the river. You know, a river is yeah. always a good pathway. Right, yeah. there's always going to be life along the river. Right. And so um, as soon as they start to leave, though, Alfred Packer immediately is like, nope, we should go through the San Juan Mountains. I know a shortcut. It's going to get us there quicker. Um, let's go. And he convinces five men to go with him. The others say, no, <laughs> we're going to listen to the chief and stay close to the Gunnison River. And of course, they're the smart ones. Yeah. So, And it also seems like... Um, they were not sad to lose him. So it seems like even at this early stage, both his yucky personality and at least some of them were like, eh, we don't really trust that this guy knows what he's mm -hmm. talking yeah. about, you know? So, so they stay along the Gunnison River, these, these other five men. They do, in fact, run out of food on the trip. They are very close to starvation when um, some people who worked for the government cattle camp found them and took them in. And they ended up staying with those guys until April because the winter was just too brutal, even yeah. following the river and all of that. So that should probably give you a hint how things are going to go. Through the mountains. Yeah. For Alfred and company as they idiotically set out into the San Juan Mountains. So, Yeah. <laughs> There you go. Um, so they go ahead, go out into the San Juan Mountains. <clears throat> and on the 9th of February, when they split off from the Gunnison River crew, he and these other five men head out for the Los Pinos Indian Agency. Now it's 75 miles away, and it should have taken them around 14 days to get there following the safest route. Okay, mm -hmm. which of course they don't. Of course not. In addition to totally ignoring Chief Uray's excellent advice, I mean, who would know better than somebody who's lived there, right, with yeah. his people mm -hmm. for generations, they have no snowshoes, they have a bare minimum of matches and no flint, and no heavy clothing to speak of. So to me, this is just idiots wanting to get rich quick not, did not plan thoroughly no. yeah they were not prepared none of them right i mean so obviously alfred packer is a liar from the get-go <laughs> excuse me but i mean all of these men have some sort of culpability here for stupidity yeah mm -hmm. so um what they do have with them are two rifles for six men one pistol that seems to have belonged to alfred packer a couple of knives, a hatchet, and minimal ammo. So none of these men had obviously been Boy Scouts or <laughs> believed in the... like a good guide. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or, yeah. And that's the other thing, right? If he's a guide, how the hell is he not saying to them... Right. Hey, here's our shopping list. This is right. what we need. So. Right. Or why wouldn't you pack better to prove that you know what you're doing? Like yeah. you're going off in the wintertime, crossing a mountain range. And here's what's odd, too, to me, is that... Obviously, some of these men had quite a bit of money on them, but for whatever reason, didn't want to spend it on provisions, which is also just yeah, that's weird, crazy. So, so like I said, these two groups split off on the 9th of February, 
and nothing more is heard of Alfred Packer and company until two months later, on the 16th of April, 1874, when Alfred Packer stumbles alone with rags on his feet into the Los Pinos Indian Agency near Sawatch. And there's a bunch of men in a building eating breakfast. The door flies open dramatically and Packer is standing there and immediately begs for food and shelter. The men, of course, take him in. They offer him food, which he almost immediately throws back up and he explains that he hasn't had real food for such a long period of time, which does fit. I mean, people yeah, who uh... who have been starving, right? We know that you have to very slowly reintroduce food. So they do give him whiskey, which he seems to hold down a little better. And, <laughs> and this is where it gets a little bit like The Revenant with Leonardo DiCaprio. Have any of you guys seen that movie? No. It's a great movie. I totally recommend it. But I know Kaylin and I a few weeks ago discussed what pisses us off about movies based on true stories. Yep. Yeah. So Meh. The Revenant totally messes with the real history. The part that is true, though, is that the guy does get attacked by a bear and he does undergo this amazing trek alone, badly wounded, to reach civilization again. That part's true. Okay. But everything else around that movie, they made up for the movie. So just keep that in mind. But it's totally good to see. Um, <laughs> Alfred Packer makes up a story kind of like that. He claims that he was snow-blinded that one of the members of the party, he, I think he was the oldest member, his name was Israel Swan, gave him his own rifle and then they abandoned him and left him behind. Because of his snow blindness, he couldn't travel, he couldn't keep up, and they were wanting to, you know, get through the mountains. That doesn't sound right. Uh, you're the guide. <laughs> what? <laughs> Okay. But he's snow blind, so how can he guide if he's snow blind? Right. Right? I okay. mean, okay. Right. So right away, but like, you know, mm -hmm. people are like, what? Like, yeah, it doesn't make sense. Um, he claims that he survived on roots and rosebuds. And like Maria, his listeners are not only suspicious of the fact that, hey, you're the guide, and so they just leave you behind, but also when they look at him, he doesn't really look that skinny. As if he were surviving just on twigs and berries. Right, on roots and rosebuds. Right. And in fact, his face is described as being bloated. They said his frame was not even close to quote-unquote skeletal. He looked healthy, mm -hmm. all right? Um... But while he's there in Sawatch, he claims, or sorry, at the Los Pinos uh, Indian Agency, he claims to be broke. He sells the Winchester rifle that supposedly Israel Swan had left with him for $10, which in today's money is around $220, $220. Okay. So it's a good sum. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, my the listeners that, you know, love firearms would be like, oh, I'd like a Winchester rifle. So for $10 or $220 even. Um, he stays there for 10 days, and then he tells everybody, you know, I'm done with the West. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm going to head home to Pennsylvania. And he then leaves the Los Pinos Indian Agency and heads to Swatch, where he's going to buy provisions for his trip. 
right? And then he's going to head back to Pennsylvania. At least he's getting prepared this time. <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. that's what a good guy does. Yeah. <laughs> of course, it's April by now, so whatever. But um, while he's in Sawatch, though, so remember he, so back in Provo, the people that he originally hooked up with all said he had no money and no provisions to his name. Mm-hmm. The only thing he seemed to have when he first is found is the 10, the rifle that he sells for $10. Well, when he gets to Sawatch, somehow he suddenly has a whole lot of money. And people see him throwing it around quite freely. He stays at Dolan's Saloon, which, you know, saloons back then also often doubled as... Brothels. Well, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Whorehouses and... Bars. Well, yes, a saloon is a bar, but also hotels. So there are usually rooms. So... Um, yes. When I think saloon, I just, I don't even, I don't know. Okay. Sure. Bars. Larry Dolan. (laughs) Larry Dolan, who's the owner of the saloon, later testifies that he knows for a fact that Alfred Packer spent at least $100 while he was staying there, which in today's money is... To over two thousand dollars, twenty two hundred dollars. Damn, that's a lot of money. So yes, um, in addition, one night he was sitting there talking to Dolan, and I guess Dolan said something about needing money. I don't. I'm not sure how the conversation went. I didn't see that, but Packer offered to loan Dolan three hundred dollars. Hmm. Okay. In addition, he had gone to the local general store to supposedly buy provisions for this trip and spent $78 there. And throughout this time, he's drinking a lot. He's drinking daily, so he's paying for all of that. And people claim to see him with more than one wallet. Hmm. Which is also strange, right? Why would you carry more than one wallet? And when he was drunk... This story that he told about, you know, being snow blind and being left behind changed a lot. Apparently there were a lot of different versions of this tale that he would tell of how he made it from Provo down to Swatch. So again, people are very suspicious. In addition, where are the other five men? Right. Right? He managed to make it out of the wilderness. Why didn't they? Why did not a single one of them, especially if they're traveling in a group, they had more weapons than he. So, you know, there's a lot that is not right about this story. So, one of the men who had been smart and had wintered with Chief Ure throughout the winter, a guy named Preston Nutter, shows up in Sawatch with two other men who had also stayed behind at the Ute camp, okay? While they're in Sawatch, which by the way, Sawatch today has a population of like 458 people. It's a tiny town. I believe back then it was somewhat bigger because of its location, Mm -hmm. you know, and people were going through for gold and silver mining and that sort of thing. But again, probably not huge, huge. Anyway, so Preston Nutter runs into Alfred Packer and recognizes him and asks, hey, where's everybody else? And Packer again tells this story that Israel Swan, 
gave him the Winchester rifle and that the rest of the men just left him and abandoned him. And Nutter's just like, what? That doesn't even make sense. Mm -hmm. And he says, first of all, why would Swan give away one of only two rifles that they uh -huh. had? You know? And secondly, mm -hmm. he knew that Alfred Packer owned a Colt revolver. I was just going to say, he had a pistol. Where is the Colt revolver? Hmm. No one has seen that since he reappeared. That's weird. And why does Packer suddenly have all this money? Because Nutter knows ever since Provo, he didn't have a dime to his name, basically. Yeah, right. And finally, he also notices that in addition <clears throat> to some, you know, to have the multiple wallets that other people had claimed, that he notices that Packer also has in his possession a skinny knife that had belonged to a guy named Frank Butcher Miller, who had been one of the five yeah. to accompany him. So, yeah, lots of evidence here. Don't ask. Back at the Los Pinos Indian Agency, the other five men who had listened to Chief Uray and had the, the Gunnison River crew, right, they show up, okay? And they too are, you know, like Packer's an absolute jerk, first of all. No, none of us liked him. And the other men were all good men who would never have abandoned him and left him to die alone with snow blindness. Like right. they just, you know, again, so all of these things are coming together. So they decide, so they talk to a, a guy there at the Los Pinos Indian Agency, the one that was in charge, is a guy named General Adams. And they're like, look, we have got to talk to this Packer guy because this is all very, very fishy. It's not adding up. And so they say, let's go get him, but we won't tell him that we want to bring him back for questioning because they're pretty sure he'll take off or won't cooperate. Uh -huh. So they hatch this plan that they're going to head down to Swatch, pick up Packer, and be like, hey, we want to go look for the other five guys because we're you know, pretty sure we could find him now and we want to make sure that, you know, see if they're lost or if they did die, you know, what happened. Yeah. So um, General Adams goes ahead and they go through with this plan. They get Packer back to Los Pinos. They also notice that he has other stuff that belonged to the other men. Like there's a pipe that he's been smoking that belonged to one of the other guys and so on. And so Adams and the five men from the Gunnison River, or, or sorry, that you know that had stayed with Chief Uray, um, and then some other people there at the Los Pinos Indian Agency, they set up a council. It, it sounds they called it a council, and like I said, Colorado at this time is a territory, so you don't have you know a state government or any of that stuff. Yeah. Um, but it, it sounds like it's almost more like a court, or at least a preliminary. Okay. Where they're going to question him. Yeah. <laughs> this is where it gets so incredibly dramatic. Oh, dear. <laughs> Just as they're getting ready to question Packer, a Ute man runs in with some strips of dried human flesh. He calls it white man's meat uh, that he had just found while hunting nearby. And when he throws it in and tells his story, Packer immediately faints. <laughs> Then when he comes to, he starts sobbing and begging for mercy, and he promises to tell them all the true story. Now, over the next 30 years, this true story that he confesses 
is going to have a lot of different versions. So just like when he was drunk and telling the initial story, he keeps this up. All right. So his initial story, the first one that he tells, is that they were all lost and starving, snowbound in the San Juan Mountains, that he left to get firewood, and that when he came back, the other four men had killed Israel Swan with a hatchet and were butchering him and preparing to eat him. And he's like, well, might as well join in. Israel's already dead. We're all starving. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. And on Israel Swan, they find that he had several thousand dollars and they split the money amongst them. And then over the next several days, there's no game to be found, no food. So they decide to kill Miller because he's the stockiest and he's got the most meat on him. So again, hatch a blow to the head, kill him, butcher him, eat him. That's how Packer ends up with his knife and they also split his money up. Next, they kill Humphrey, who's another guy, and then the last person that they kill is Noon. That leaves a guy whose last name is Bell and Packer, the only ones left. And Packer claims that the two of them entered a pact, that they swore a solemn oath to each other, that they would not eat each other no matter what happened, and that if they made it out alive, neither of them would ever talk about the cannibalism. They would just claim that the others had died from the cold and exposure and that they had buried them decently. And then he says that after several more days pass, Bell just goes nuts, says he can't take it anymore, attacks him, tries to kill him, and that he has to murder Bell in self-defense. And of course, then that butchers him. And those are the remaining strips of meat that were found by the Ute native. And this is weird, too. This is what he says in his first confession that as he approached Los Pinos Indian Agency, he threw away those strips of meat, but he really didn't want to because he had grown fond of the taste of human flesh. Oh, Ew. my God. Yeah. So right there, too, you're like, why would you say that? Mm -hmm. Like, you're spitting this story of how desperate you were, you know, you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. just a weird thing to say. Yeah. So, Ugh. General Adams is like, okay, so now we know these guys are dead. We're still going to go form a search party so we can find the remains and make sure that they all get a decent Christian burial. And Packer, once again, the oh-so-good guide, ha, 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 takes them up to where he claims <sighs> that they died. And then he's like, oh, wait, I'm lost again. And he has a knife on him that he had somehow hidden in his clothing. He attacks a member of the search party named Herman Lauder. And <laughs> so they immediately take him into custody. Now, General Adams, up to this point, had been fairly sympathetic toward Packer. You know, had been like, yeah, this is a horrible tale. Yeah. Things like that. Like I said, and you have to remember the Donner Party had happened. Although on the Donner Party, they never killed anybody. 
they only cannibalized people who had already died. Okay. So it was a very, very different situation in that respect. Yeah. Just like murdering people in their body. Right, right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And it's been a while since I've read or seen anything about the Donner Party, but I'm like 100% sure that nobody ever simply just resourceful yes exactly (laughs) you know and the journals and stuff of the people i mean they're very very heartbreaking and it's just a very different narrative very sad yeah than the one packer is spinning here anyway so um general adams says okay you're going to be arrested and he has um alfred packer taken back to swatch and put in the jail there and that's why there's you know a likeness of him even in present gotcha. time there now Packer suddenly changes his story and now what he claims is that they were all trapped by the snow they couldn't move any further that they made a pact that if one of them died the others would go ahead and eat him so basically they gave permission mm. right and again so this is where it sounds more like the daughter party and Israel Swan, again, who was the oldest amongst them, was the first to die. They ate him. Humphrey died days later. Um, somehow he said that Butch, the guy with the knife, was killed accidentally, but I don't know what that story was supposed to be. Yeah. And then Bell shot Noon, the last remaining guy, and then Packer had to shoot Bell because Bell attacked him. So he does stay true to the order in which yeah. everyone dies. Um, it's always Israel Swan is first, and then it's always that Bell is at the end, and there's always some element of, you know, I had to kill him before he killed me sort of yeah. thing. Now, so he's sitting in Swatch jail. That following August, so he stumbles in to the Los Pinos Indian Agency, like we said, April 1874. That August... A man named John A. Randolph, who was an illustrator for Harper's Weekly magazine, finds all five of the bodies. And he finds them all in one location, and they're all grouped together. And before he did anything else, he made a sketch of exactly where he found the bodies, exactly what they looked like. So he had... A very, you know, what today we would have, you know, what police say, you know, don't disturb the scene, document exactly what you see. So it's really interesting that he had that mentality in mm-hmm. the 1870s yeah. because a lot That's of police forces didn't adopt that for a really cool. long time. Yeah. Right. So um, he sketches the bodies. And what's weird is the place where he found them is at the foot of a place called Slumgullion Pass. And it is within walking distance of the town of Lake City, Colorado. So they weren't that far from help. Okay? And that's important, too. Now, over the four months that the bodies had been laying there, of course, animals had gotten to them, Mm -hmm. the elements. They had been buried in snow for quite a... I mean, winters in Colorado last a long time. Um, And the bodies were all in very different stages some of them had more of the flesh 
gone than others. A couple of the bodies, the, the heads were missing and they're pretty sure animals had done that. But there were a couple of them that like the faces, you could still recognize who it was. Like they, you know, oh. yeah. It, it was, this was pretty, this was one of my more gruesome, not just because of the cannibalism, but like a lot of this was kind of <laughs> hard to read. Yeah. Um, the, the heads that are still there on the bodies, the evidence is that they had died from blows to the head. So his initial tale of like a, a hatchet to the head also mm-hmm. seems to make sense. Um, however, contradicting both of his earlier confessions, it's very obvious that they all died here, right? It's yeah. not, you know, somebody, either we killed somebody or they died and then we traveled on and then somebody... It, yeah, this, they stayed there. They all died at one time, yeah. basically. Um, and again, there was a lot of flesh left on some of the bodies, not so much on others. So the new theory was that Packer did intentionally lead them into the mountains with the intent of robbing them mm-hmm. and possibly killing them. Pro- well, probably that. I mean, to get, you know, that's what he would have had to do, five against one. That he did that with the intention of killing and robbing them, but then he himself got trapped by the snow. And there was evidence that there was a shelter nearby where he had stayed that he then, because he was trapped there in the snow, would just come out and eat off the bodies. Yeah. Yeah. So once this discovery is made, they head back to Sawatch to grab Packer and they're going to put him on trial. But guess what? He's gone. Oh, he's gone. This is one of the craziest parts of the story, though. The Sawatch County authorities were pissed because he'd been sitting there in their jail for months. And their jail was basically like this, just a little like log cabin thing. So, I mean, it's not secure. Mm -hmm. So they also had to pay people to guard him. And they were mad because all this taxpayer money was going to pay a guard to watch this guy. (laughs) And so even though everyone was pretty convinced he'd done something and he probably wasn't a very good person, somebody had apparently slipped him a makeshift key and basically just allowed him to escape. Oh, my God. What? (laughs) Oh, because they didn't want to pay taxes, damn it. Jesus Christ. Isn't that the best story ever? I'm ready for the rest. I know know there's more. (laughs) Well, even though he does manage to escape, he doesn't escape forever. On March 11th of 1883... He is discovered in the town of Cheyenne, Wyoming, living under an alias. And so they arrest him, and they're like, nope, this time you're going on trial, dude. And this time, when he is put on trial, he claims that Bell killed everybody all at once and then tried to attack him, and he killed Bell in self-defense. And the trial happens in Lake City, Colorado, so not far from where the bodies were found, He's found guilty of the premeditated murder of Israel Swan, but only Israel Swan. What? I didn't go in, because this story's going on so long already. I didn't go into all the details about why and exactly how that happened. That's some bullshit. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like that. That's some bullshit. Well, there's even more coming. You're going to get madder here in a minute. Great. So he's sentenced to hang, but his lawyers go through... And they point out that he had been charged and prosecuted with the law that existed when Colorado was a territory. Mm. 
By the time he was caught in 1883, the law had been rewritten and was now a state statute and did no longer applied to the territory of Colorado. What? So it goes up and he's released on the technicality. However, he does end up getting put on trial again on the 8th of June, 1886. This time, I need to take a picture of Kaylin's face right now. And Maria's. Uh, this time, he is convicted of five counts of voluntary manslaughter. And again, I didn't go into all the details about how and you know what I mean, but and he's sentenced to forty years, which at the time was the longest prison sentence than anyone had ever been given in the United States for the. For the time, I mean, I guess. Because I think usually crimes of this severity, it would have been death. Yeah. Right. Do you know what I mean? And anything else, like, you know, robbery and things like that, those, <clears throat> excuse me, were shorter sentences. But I yeah. found that faster. I want to do some more research about that because I thought that was interesting. Hmm. Now, at this particular trial, what was interesting is there was te- testimony given that even though the winter of 1874 had, in fact, been pretty harsh... There was a lot of antelope and deer avail- around in the mountains. And in fact, a deer carcass was found not far from where his winter, yeah, hiding. I know. So again, it gets, it's just weird, right? Um, so he is sent to the Canyon City Penitentiary, but he gets paroled after 18 years. And again, for whatever, <laughs> for whatever reason, there were people who seemed to feel sorry for him. And again, I'm thinking that the Donner Party... Has people probably thinking that this yeah. guy didn't mean to do it. He was just doing it for the means of survival. I believe so. And there was oh. a reporter for the Denver Post who seems to have been um, very active in trying to get him paroled. Oh. And, and after he is paroled, he in fact works as a guard at the Denver Post, probably through her intercession. And then he ends up as a ranch hand. And he dies on the 23rd of April, 1907, at the age of 65. At the time, his official cause of death was listed as dementia from trouble and worry in Deer Creek, Colorado. Although, based on you know, the medical records or the description of his death, most likely he had a stroke. Huh. Now, here's a little tidbit that I thought was hysterical. I'm almost 100% sure that this is some sort of an urban legend, but it pleases me nonetheless. (laughs) (laughs) There was a rumor that he had become a vegetarian. (laughs) I don't know why that just cracked me up. Sweet, sweet irony. (laughs) I found that on the Wikipedia, and oh I, I'm wondering if somebody put that there as a Probably. joke. I, yeah, <laughs> he became a vegetarian, <laughs> but he was described as being very well liked by children. That he lived modestly and was a charitable man. Okay, and that's not the end of the story. Oh dear. So in 1989 and in 1994, there were professors who exhumed the bodies of his victims. And because they wanted, you know, to get more truth about the story. They did very, very careful, what do I want to say? Not autopsies, what's it called? But anyway, you know, post-mortem examinations Mm -hmm. of the remains. And some of the hip bones had these weird round marks in them. 
And they weren't, some of them said, well, that might be from like a bear, you know, since the bodies were left out, maybe a bear had bitten on the pelvises. But one of the theories that came is they, when they examined the bones, they all definitely showed signs of butchering. So there was 100% yes, cannibalism happened because there are cuts and things on the bones that only come from butchering. And they also said that it looked like the skulls probably that they were killed with a hatchet or from a from blows to the head and one of the narratives that came out of this particular examination was what probably happened was while the men were sleeping packer attacked them you know hit him in the head to kill them and that possibly when the others woke up maybe he shot them in the pelvis to um, so they couldn't do Run anything away. yeah and the, and then killed them yeah. as well um, and that was the story that you know was told although again they said they couldn't be 100% sure maybe he just hit him all in the head yeah. who knows but very he definitely killed all five of them at the same time and he definitely was a cannibal um, and that probably what happened is that he decided to, to murder them, to steal everything they had, and then he himself got snowed down in that area. And that's when the cannibalism Ew. happened. Yeah. Um, even crazier, he was buried in Colorado. Okay. And they actually, I guess, had to like put some sort of stone or something over his grave because people were always messing with it. There is, again, and I don't think I don't think his remains have ever been exhumed to confirm this, but the story goes that his head was removed, and for a time it was in a Ripley's Believe It or Not Museum in San Antonio, Texas, but then it was later moved after Hurricane Katrina, I believe. Or maybe it was, yeah, I can't, I'll have to double check that. But, huh. Yeah. His head? His head. What? Yeah. Ripley's crazy. Believe It or Not. I mean, who would want to keep that? Well, you know, here's the thing. Taking trophies, especially from notorious murderers, was very, very common at the time. And if you look, like in the Old West, after people were, like, you can look at, like, death photos of people like Billy the Kid mm -hmm. and notorious outlaws, they would always take photographs and then sell them on postcards. Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah. Bonnie and Clyde, when they dragged the car, they mm -hmm. had to like keep, like people were trying to cut off Clyde's trigger finger. They were like a bunch of uh, oh, Bonnie's hair. hair got cut off. Yeah. Yeah, it's gross. I can't but you can, you can go on Google right now and you can find these pictures. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Yeah. And also in Wikipedia, it says that he's buried in West Virginia. So I don't know if at some point, you know, his body was moved. Okay, here's the thing. As of 2008, the skull is reported to be at the Ripley's Museum in San Antonio, Texas, following its relocation from the New Orleans facility in the wake of Hurricane Katrina. So it was moved to San mm -hmm. Antonio. Mm -hmm. Huh. Yes. That's weird. I mean, like, I've heard of, you know, like, um, paranormal what it psychics or whatever mm -hmm. mediums like keeping artifacts from homes that you know a ghost or whatever mm -hmm. has attached itself to like the annabelle doll yeah. or yeah you know little crypts or any you know, things like that but to, i've never that's crazy like that's the first for me hearing that people have actually like taken things from murderers 
well, like, pieces of them or like, yeah, you know, as a memoir. Uh-huh. Well, and there's a, a museum in, I think it's LA, somewhere in California, and it's a murder museum. Yeah. And I'm sure they've got a lot of the same things. Well, and there's been, you know, a lot of things, a lot of states have actually had to pass laws where people who are convicted of horrific crimes, especially murder seems to be the yeah. big one, where so that they cannot profit from their crimes because you had, you know, criminals writing books or, yeah. you know, and then mm-hmm. selling them or, you know, John Wayne yeah. Gacy made paintings and Charles Manson wrote songs and, you know, so there's been a lot of this about how do we control this so that nobody's making money? And so they, yeah. right. they've they managed to make sure that the criminals themselves don't, but you still have a lot of these artifacts floating around that people are selling yeah. and buying and, you know, making money. And it's, it's very gruesome. Yeah. You know, and I'm not, I don't understand wanting to own that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. I really don't. I, I can understand it more in like putting it in a museum type of a way. Pri- but a like... prison museum, something like, or something if you're trying, if it leads to understanding, I guess, the psyche or, I don't know. I just, ugh. I really want to go to that murder museum in California though. I'm sure you do. I think that actually fun. sounds really fun. Yeah, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. So, so let's tell Colorado Cannibal. That was fun. That Thanks was for letting me lot. tell it. That was interesting. Like, that, wow, kind of just blew my mind. Well, and I told Maria earlier today, because she had asked what kind of case you were doing, and all I said was cannibals. <laughs> and she's like gagging instantly, and I was like, well, this is going to be a fun one. Yeah. <laughs> well, it is, you know, it's one of those taboos that's just so far out there. Well, it is. I mean, and like I told Caitlin about a case that we had talked about this in my senior government class, that a gentleman had escaped from a mental institution in New York had traveled across the country to northern Idaho and had abducted a 15-year-old boy from a camping site. Kept him for a few days, killed him. When his parents, they when you know, they just decided, well, they can't find his body. He's been missing for a while. He's more likely dead. Mm-hmm. They had a funeral service for him. He had actually shown up to the funeral service. And his parents had no idea who he was. And he had made this chili oh, soup. Oh, God, no. And was trying to feed this to his parents in their potluck and his dad said that it it smelled off the man was acting really strange he said that he did taste it and that it didn't it it just tasted wrong so they had sent it in and it had come back that was their son he was trying to feed them their son oh my god now that's some game of thrones level shit right there but (laughs) oh but yeah that's what so it just that kind of stuff makes my stomach turn. Yeah, and it just, yeah. It's well, and that horrific. is, I mean, the layers of... Well, to do that, to see that, yeah. okay, this is publicly posted, that yes. they're going to host this funeral service for this boy I abducted. Oh. I killed him. I cut him up, and I'm going to cook him. That's so gross. Take him, and let's feed him to his parents as some sick joke. Well, and like I said, I think we all, you know, like I said, I, I watched the movie Alive, you know, or you watch something like The Donner Party, and you... As horrific as it is, you understand it. Do you know what I mean? Like, this is what people had to do to survive. There's certain, yeah. And with Alfred Packer, it just seems like, again, he's not doing the Donner Party. I mean, there is there is this extra level of, I don't know, like, I'm not doing it just 
for bare level subsistence. Yeah. The fact that he admitted that he had developed a taste for I mean, right. just mm. Well, and the fact that he killed them all at the same time. Yeah. And then he just all of a sudden gets snowed in. I mean, he had to have had an idea that he was going to get snowed in. So, I mean, you kill one or two of them. You still have two other people stuck with you in your party mm-hmm. who know what you did. Yeah. So then you're living on the edge that are they going to kill me? Take me out. Well, that's not going to happen because my intention was to take everything they had, money, provisions, whatever, to finish out the winter. Well, it, it was stated that they ran out of all of that. Yeah. Besides the money. I mean, they have nothing to spend the money on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's going to take it. Obviously had to have some sort of idea that, okay, I'm going to survive off these guys until the snow melts. I'm going to take their money. Let's go into town. I'll have this story of what happened. It was the times. This sort of thing may be common. This is, you know, and he obviously went down with all of this money, like you said, throwing it around freely. So he had to have had some sort of idea going into it that, hey, this is what I'm going to do. You see a group of gentlemen with all this stuff and all this money ready to take this trek. Hey, let me come along. I'm a a poor tour guide, but let me just, you know, guide you guys through the mountains. Yeah. Leading them to their death. Yeah. Ugh. That's crazy. Ugh. But thanks for letting me do this story. I'm really I know, excited you were, that you were really excited. You awesome. were really bummed when I told you we were doing Colorado. I yeah, I remember her telling me about yes. it. So that's that's awesome that we could do this. So yay. Yeah. All right. So if you have any suggestions for us, email us at stateofcrimepodcast at gmail.com. Check out our Facebook and our discussion page on Facebook and our Twitter and our Instagram and <laughs> I think that's it. If you're listening on an Apple product, make sure you go to your Apple podcast. Whoa. (laughs) Your Apple podcasts. (laughs) Rate and review us so that we get get better. Yeah. So, So, hey. See you next time.